Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where once a week we get together and explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives, sometimes pretty obvious, sometimes a bit more subtle. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to dive into the question of, is weather critical to advancing technology? Now, before we jump into the main topic, let me say, as always, I hope you've had an interesting and enjoyable intertwined weather week. Maybe you learned something new. Maybe you just had some pleasant weather to experience. You didn't have to think about it too much. Who knows? In any case, I I hope that overall you've had a positive weather-related experience. For me, I was in weather overload. It was in a good way. I was out in Southern California, brought some cooler weather and a little bit of rain even to them. Yes, yes, we're selling weather these days. No, not really. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie The Avengers with Sean Connery, where that's exactly what they were doing. It would be interesting if we ever get to that stage, which we're not yet. I wonder what I'd buy weather-wise. Yeah, I can imagine. Wait, let's not. Yeah, that we could get off on a whole tangent. That's a whole episode. What weather would you buy if you could buy weather? Hey, that's a that's a future topic, maybe. Something to explore. But I was at the National Weather Association meeting. It's an annual meeting. And as I mentioned, we were out in SoCal. And it's interesting. You guys have heard me mention the American Meteorological Society before. And I've been going to those meetings for years. And those meetings quite often have a scientific focus. It's not right to necessarily categorize it that way, but most of what I was doing has had that kind of impact. There's a lot of research, even if it's research to operations, there's a lot of research focus and emphasis in what's going on there. And quite frankly, that's the nature of the organization, you know, a lot of the ideas that it fosters is improving our understanding at a very core level. Whereas the NWA is a little more oriented towards how weather is being presented to you and I on a daily basis, whether it's from the National Weather Service, whether it's from broadcast meteorologist, whatever it might be. But fundamentally, it's it's thinking about the issue's a little different angle, maybe, or, or perspective. You know, the, the AMS has broadcast sessions and that sort of thing, and certainly a lot of people that work for the National Weather Service go and do research and are part of the AMS, but this kind of brings them, the group together and is a little more, like I said, concentrated on maybe the messaging, what challenges are you facing as a forecaster? And I I think that's probably the best way to think about it is when you're in an AMS meeting, you're thinking about it almost as as a lot of times as an atmospheric scientist or, well, it depends on what you are, a hydrologist. Sometimes as a meteorologist, you could be a broadcast meteorologist or work for the Weather Service, but you're thinking about the challenges of the science fundamentally. And there is some overlap, but when you get into this NWA meeting, it's very focused on how is that information translating into what I do every day at work and how I share what I'm doing every day at work with others. Now, 
I had the chance to meet a lot of folks there, tons of folks. And most of these people I had not met before. I, you know, I just joined this organization in the past year. But it was the first time I had been to one of their annual meetings. It's really enjoyable. And I did want to you know, mention, we talked a lot last week in the last episode about communicating, about the challenges that I saw with meteorologists and where we're being asked to communicate and the difficulties that are presented in that and how some people are probably doing it better than others. Now, I had the pleasure at this meeting to meet two people I've heard speak on the topic before and have been very engaged with the meteorology community on this topic. Dr. Laura Myers and Dr. Susan Jasko have worked on this issue for a while. And, and that's a, I guess it's a comfort to those of us in the weather enterprise to know that people are looking at this issue on a constant basis and how we can improve it. And, you know, I had a chance to talk about some of the things I brought up on, on the podcast last week with them. And I think the most encouraging thing in their responses is there is this craving to be able to improve our communication skills as meteorologists. Not always successful, but it's recognized as something we need to improve upon. And I, I was glad to hear that they're they continue to hear that message, and they've even created something called the Weather Social, and I'll put a link in the show notes where you can go read a little bit about it, where there's kind of bringing together these communities to focus on these topics, and a couple of people that are part of that were also at the meeting, and I chatted with them briefly, but again, I could go on and on about, about that meeting, but that was kind of one of the highlights, but it was good to hear. The other thing, I you know... Feedback from the last episode. Let's see how we can categorize this. So I asked you guys to respond, and you did. Thank you for doing that. Now, one of the responses came from Aaron, and he posted his response on YouTube. If you do not subscribe to our YouTube channel, like I said, a lot of content that gets put out there, I, you know, I put some shorts out there, I put the clouds episode out there, but sometimes I, you know, we're putting these episodes out there, it's an opportunity for people to write feedback that wanted attached specifically to the episode, and that's what he was doing. And I, you know, I found that to be good. So maybe we could explore that. You know, we can't do it everywhere. I can't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere. And that platform seems pretty good because the episode you can actually even re-listen to it if you want to before commenting. In any case, he wrote a very long and thoughtful response about what he looks for in a meteorologist. And what he saw, I think, you know, hopefully I'm not miscategorizing what he said, but what he saw as how, I guess, the broadcast industry has shifted the meteorologist away from what they should be doing to kind of in some ways what they become. Not, not in every case, but again, go, go look at, you can just, again, go just www.whatisitabouttheweather.com slash YouTube. It'll take you to the YouTube channel and just look for the most recent thing that's up there, and you'll find us comments in there. Very very well thought out piece. The other one that I got that I wanted to share with you guys was the following statement. You certainly proved you're capable of rambling. Now, I'm not going to call out who said it, and it was offered in a nice way, but I, you know, at first I was like, Okay, well, yeah, I know I rambled a little bit in that episode, 
but at the same time, it was kind of offered that they knew that that's what my goal was. Now, I wanted it to be a little bit of thinking and a little bit of you guys to understand that it was something that was kind of coming out of my head at the time, because it really was, right? There weren't really show notes on that one. I had a few very, very loose notes. But sometimes I feel I get a little too noty, if you will, too, too fixated on hitting this outline that I want to go through. And I wanted it to come across a little bit like, you know, brain farts coming out of my head sort of thing. Hopefully you guys found it enjoyable. Um, But now that I know that I'm a successful rambler, I'll try not to do too much of that in this episode. Maybe from time to time it's a good thing, but I don't want to overdo that to you guys. All right. So again, thanks for those that that gave some feedback. We're going to try to do some more of that. I, I would... I want to be more engaged with you guys, and and sometimes it's a little difficult to do given that I'm recording something, putting it out there, and then you guys are listening and responding, but I like to know that, you know, the topic's useful, I'm on track, so I'll try to always kind of maybe create a question specific to the episode, something that you can respond to if you want to. So let's dive into the idea, this very fundamental idea of the connection. It really is a symbiotic relationship between weather and particularly weather forecasting and technology. Now, as you know, Kevin, one of our listeners had suggested kind of doing an episode about how a weather forecast gets from the very starting data sources to us as viewers of that weather forecast. And I've mentioned, I'm going to probably do that in a multi-episode scenario. I think I'm going to start it in October which is just around the corner, it's hard to believe, and do it over a few months because I think it could be a little bit of overload. I don't, I don't want to dump this on you all at once, and it's certainly something I'm very, very familiar with, at least certain aspects of it more. Well, I should say that. I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of it. I don't know all the nuts and bolts about a couple of pieces of it, but I know enough to speak to it in great depth, and I think that's the last thing you want me to do. So I'm going to have to find that right balance, but I do think it's more than a single episode. But Kevin, one of the interesting things is he works at a high-performance computing center in a university environment. And when we talk about these, it's called an HPC. HPCs and this other acronym we use on the weather side, NWP, Numerical Weather Prediction, have been linked for years. For as long as there's been HPCs, NWP has existed But what does all that translate to you? Okay, What does all that mean? And and, and what does that have to do with, you know, the type of phone you're using today? Well, let's talk about it for a minute. So about 100 years ago, a little more than that now, we really started to understand weather well enough that we could develop equations that explained what was going on. Now, We had a long way to go, but it was the first steps in recognizing that weather wasn't just this random thing that was going on, that there really was some relationship for all the things that were going on around us, whether it was where we were or some place halfway around the world. didn't matter. There was a connection. And we started making those advances. And, of course, with those advances... And those equations, it's not just about the science, but it's also translating that science into the math. 
And that's kind of the, the critical piece because some sciences you look at don't always connect, even, even pure sciences, if you think about biology or chemistry, there is math underlying that, but there's a lot of discussion, a lot of our understanding that's not so mathematically driven. Whereas when you get into things like physics and atmospheric dynamics, if you will, those are very governed by math. And that's one of those things for meteorologists or wannabe meteorologists. It's the tricky part, right? Because so often when people first get interested, there's this interest in the weather element. But underlying all that weather is the math. And that's why if you want to go to school to be a meteorology, you end up having to do at least some level of this math to get a baseline understanding of what it is that's at the core of weather. So again, 100 years ago, you've got that stuff going on. Then we had this great thing happen. These big machines, right? Now, when I was at the, the, the meeting this past week, they even had a session about numerical weather prediction. And I was intrigued by what I saw there because I was watching these presentations and I was realizing as they were going through it, and it was interesting, a little side note, I'm, I guess I'm rambling a little bit, but these presentations were the ones that had the most stuff thrown onto the slides, right? You know, the, it wasn't about pictures necessarily, it was about equations and um, statistics and table summarizing things and all this stuff. Very, very typical of numer numerical weather prediction folks. But in any case, so as I was watching these presentations, I realized that 10 years ago, there's no way I would have seen the pre same presentations. It just wouldn't have been possible. And it speaks to how numerical weather prediction has leveraged technology throughout the evolution of what we would call modern-day technology. Now I realize it's, you know, we, we kind of throw it around computers. I mean, that's what we tend to do when we talk about technology, generally speaking. And I know it's not the only one, but that's kind of the angle we're coming at it from, which would be the computer age, if you will. So if you look back to when these big computers were first getting built, whether it was the ENIAC or you know, some IBM machine or, or whichever it was, some of the very first challenging things that we tried to do were take these equations and create viable weather forecasts. Now, can you imagine a weather forecast that took 24 hours to produce that only looked 24 hours ahead? Well, that's some of the earlier ones. That's what was going on. Now, it can be a little difficult to go out and find good summaries of this. And too often they either focus on that first age, which is fine. It's, it's useful information. Or they focus on the how these new technologies that we're coming out with today are going to help our ability to weather forecast. And those are all very useful things, but they kind of miss that there's this big gap in between, right? You know, the 1950s to the 20 teens, that's a lot of distance in between those things. So if we go back from the mainframe age, and I even bigger than that, you know, the very early computers that were one-offs, you know, they weren't mass-produced anything. If we, we take this gap from there to let's call it the smartphone age, where everything has gone mobile, 
you got roughly 50 years in there that you're missing. And too often that's been the case with, you know, what I've seen in, in write-ups. But I came across an article in Nature magazine, and what I thought was intriguing about it is it actually, I thought, summarized well what the underlying kind of philosophy is that, that I think is critical. And the title of the article was The Quiet Revolution of Numerical Weather Prediction. And it highlighted what is key and what you kind of miss if you don't think about it. It's kind of like advances in technology. We, we've certainly all watched it, right? Well, not all of us. Some of us weren't born for all of this. But mainframes to we'll make a jump, but many computers to PCs, you know, to every home having computers in it sort of thing, or every school or every library, you need more readily available access to now where we have these incredible computers, if you will, that you can just carry around. But during that time, you don't necessarily hear about how weather forecasting one day, we just woke up and it was this amazing thing, right? We saw this huge advance. You know, we hear things like that when you talk about mapping the human genome. Or now we're talking about it with artificial intelligence, and and we see all these things that are just in our face every day. You know, talking to whether it's a Google device or an Amazon device or an Apple device, whatever it is, that, you know, we now just talk to them, kind of like Star Trek. And that will continue to advance very quickly, I think. But... That kind of advancement, even though some of that technology's been there for a while in terms of mainstream, we tend to see these things in in waves, if you will. PCs hitting the the home. I mean, if you go back to the PC age and the, the IBM ads and the Apple ads and all those things, it was huge. And it was considered revolutionary. The internet, right? These revolutionary jumps. But you'd never hear about this with, with numerical weather prediction. So why not? What, what, what is it that's so different with numerical weather prediction that's led to this scenario? And the reality is that we, this baseline set of equations was a starting point. But with all the equations that we have... There's this need, if you will, to fudge things. We call it parameterization, okay? But you're fudging things. You're making a best guess. Or you're saying, we can't, we don't have the capacity in this computer, this current computer, to do X. So we've got to take some either baseline equation or some reasonable estimation of the behavior and plug it in. And the good news is when it comes to weather prediction and numerical weather models that our understanding of the science is such that it allows us to do that. 30 years ago you would have never heard about trying to resolve thunderstorms in in a weather model. So we have things called and they're, and they're actually 
only really starting to be used more in more recent times, convective parameterization. So will your model even handle that capacity or not? And it is important for, for predicting some aspects of the weather, but not others. And that's the other thing that I think is essential in all this. I think too often we lose sight of the fact that the weather and what actually delivers our, our final weather is regulated by all sorts of different things. You know, hydrology comes into play. What's the ocean doing comes into play. You know, a long time ago, we used to think that atmosphere was key and that the atmosphere was what drove the oceans. And then we start to learn about how the oceans drive the atmosphere. Again, though, it's a two-way street. They have influences on each other. But the complexity of the weather has allowed us to focus on different things at different times as new technology is coming out. So instead of being stalemated, we use these little fudgings. And those fudgings have been good enough in most cases. Doesn't mean we can't improve, but it makes that step. So as we've gone along and more processing capacity has come in, we can make those changes. But it's not, it's not just about processing, right? Technology is not just about what's in the computer. And th that's something that we're starting to understand more all the time, right? First, it was about processing and then how much RAM did you have or how big is your hard drive? But all those things are important, and they're important in weather forecasting as well. And it comes down to looking at each of those pieces and how each of them fit into the puzzle that we can utilize. So the early thing was these parameterizations. Another big thing, and you've heard me talk about it a lot before, is working with ensembles. And I know, you know, actually, that was one other interesting side note from this week, was people apparently respond better to odds and ratios than they do percentages. Just, uh, we, we'll come back and maybe revisit that someday as well. I, I found that very interesting. I've, I've still got to digest all these presentations I saw because I think there's some useful pieces for you guys as well. But how would you respond differently if, if you had a 1 in 10 chance of something versus a 10% chance or whatever it might be? Something to think about. But in any case... Ensemble forecasting allowed us to look at starting to realize our sensitivities in different situations, the uncertainty, if you will, the confidence. You know, we've talked about these things. But, you know, I want to take a moment and, and explain that a little more in this context of the technology equation. So anybody that lives in a major city, all right, Rush hour traffic. We all deal with it. Any of us that, that go to work or have a family member goes to work, whatever it is, we deal with it. And think about how far we've come in forecasting weather. You, you could drive, again, you had a little app on your phone. People are reporting accidents, up-to-date weather flows. But let's, let's pull that little phone out of your hands, right? And let's take all these cameras we have around that are monitoring the traffic out. And even more importantly, let's take that helicopter out of the sky that had become so 
critical with seeing the traffic problems. So again, no way to easily visualize. Think about trying to forecast the traffic and how long it would take you. How, how differently would you behave if you really didn't know what the traffic was going to be tomorrow? You'd have much more uncertainty, and you'd have to plan around that. So either A, people would just accept the fact that, you know, there's this chance that for the first hour of work that some people are going to arrive at one time and others another time. Or if you're in a sensitive thing, you're going to have to adjust and say, I've got to deal for my worst case. And based on my own history from where I live, you know, maybe getting to work could be anything from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. So I'm going to have to incorporate that into how I behave. And it's not different than you go to see a doctor. You got something wrong with you. And let's say it's not a trivial thing. Let's, but it doesn't have to be fatal or anything. But just maybe something a little more complex. Maybe you go see a generalist first, and they say, "Okay, go see a specialist." I think it's this, and they send you off the specialist. And then the specialist says, "Well, let's order this test and that test." And what they're trying to do is they're working from their own knowledge and their history. But they're creating a forecast of a solution as to here's what I think the problem is. And we're going to start with the the biggest percentage things or the things that are more likely going to rule out other things. So maybe by doing a simple test, you can rule out 50% of the possible things it could be. But anything that is forecast has this uncertainty element. That's one of the things that all these advances in technology have allowed us to do with forecasting, specifically weather, but forecasting anything. We have a better ability to hopefully increase our confidence, hopefully reduce the uncertainty, but we also get a better appreciation for when those uncertain situations are going to exist. Again, the difference is we've been doing it for weather since computers were created, and we still do it today. Now, I don't care whether you're looking at the processing capability with weather, because we've proven again and again, we can never have enough. We're, we're, we're nowhere close. So for every increase in processing capability, I can get a higher resolution. I can look at more levels within the atmosphere, which is particularly important with certain elements of the weather. But advances have made this, in some ways, now where we sit, maybe not as much the primary concern because we know we, we could just use it. We'll put a better equation in or a better way to think about how to resolve this or we'll be able to do more ensembles to better understand the uncertainties or the probabilities or to be able to look maybe a little further out or looking out on timeframes we are to look at with, with more confidence and higher quality. So we're always going to have that. But you've also got this, one of the, you know, the challenges that we talk about a lot today is the data side of things. And people kind of think of data and just, okay, we've got this, you know, great, we've got these new solid state drives. And their capacities are finally starting to catch up with, you know, old traditional hard drives or whatever it is. But I can tell you, I can create more weather data than you can even begin to create enough hard drives for, or any storage media. So you've got the storing capacity, which is still, I mean, we've got a long way to go. 
And again, it's about resolution, not just at the level where we're experiencing it, but going up through the atmosphere, et cetera. But you've also got new people creating new data sources. One of the keys to a quality forecast is the quality and the quantity of data that's being ingested into the weather models, even to start with. Now, some of those sources you you know we've worked with for years, weather balloons. Now we have satellite data that's giving us points. And I'd like to think at some point we're going to have these drones going up instead of even weather balloons that can cover more resolution and go out and cover maybe over the oceans as well, which would be a huge win for certain areas. But we're also thinking about it different ways, and there are companies dealing with it now. I've mentioned before the Panasonic weather model that I saw it, it actually back when we started the podcast, AMS meeting when I was at there, and what they're doing with airplane data and how they're using that data and their own modifications to a standard model we use here in the U.S. But it's about the data. I also have seen another company. There's a, a, a company called Climacell out of Boston that's doing things where they're looking at, and I've referenced this technology before, the behavior of signals between cell towers and what that tells us about precipitation. So we have all these new sources of data, you know, not even to say about the little mobile phones we carry everywhere, and we've talked about that as well. Now, we've got to create more standardization, and that's what a couple of the, those companies are doing, right? But, you know, your phone versus my phone versus it's in my pocket and out in the building, it, it makes it hard. We're going to have to adjust to those. But the opportunity for data is huge right now. And so we'll probably see a lot of focus on that. And it's on the flip side as well. More data out, more analysis. You look at what IBM's doing, right, with their their Watson and Deep Thunder stuff and its relationship to weather, but not only is it about the data anymore, just about the weather data, it's about the very premise of what we're doing with this podcast, right? It's about where, where that weather data intertwines in everything else that we do and the decision-making that we do. And it's not just about, you know, how we store the data or, or analyze the data with the processors, it's about moving all that data around, and that's a real challenge as well. You know, I, in this class I'm teaching this semester, and I even did kind of a mini podcast this week, if you will, for, for my students about this new satellite that you've heard me mention before, GOES-R, or GOES-16, as it's now going to be known. And that satellite has all this new information to share, but it needs more capacity to get it all to the ground and move it around. And we see these with the big processing centers as well. You know, you, you hear a lot of times about the ECMWF, but they've run into a bottleneck problem too. They've increased the resolution of their models, but their systems for getting that data to the clients is a bit antiquated in the capacity. And so they still have these limitations that they're interacting on that just make it hard to actually use some of these new things. So it's not... It's not just the processing. It's not just the data. It's our ability to move it around. And as we get these new data sources, how do we get all that data back to the places it's going to be processed? 
So it, it becomes communication is part of the big data problem. And you can't lose sight of the fact that the science is still in there. So not all of it's technology, right? Not, not everything that we're advancing on is about the technology. However, as I mentioned, the diversity in weather and weather forecasting, having all these disciplines that touch it, make it one of the largest problems that we deal with that advances in different areas allow us to exploit improvements. So no matter what the change in technology, there's likely some element of weather prediction that will be able to leverage it and enhance what's being delivered in terms of the quality of the forecast. So in the end, weather's a critical issue. You know, we it's not one of these things that's necessarily a moneymaker, right? We make a lot of products around the globe and people buy things. And people are often very focused on the revenue side of things. Creating weather forecast is a cost. It's a cost center, if you will. It's like providing customer support. But, but, the impact on lives and property around the globe is still tremendous. And that's still recognized as well. Let's not lose sight of that. And as long as we have catastrophic weather events like we've been witnessing this year, and I, and I can't, you know, you can't even begin to put a value on the lives lost or impacted. And even when you can on the property, it's just sometimes it's mind boggling how large these numbers are going to be. Because we're just starting to, you, you'll get to the, we're going to get to the end of the season and you're just going to be amazed. But as long as we have that, the weather forecasting community as a whole will be leveraging whatever's thrown at us technology-wise. So no, we don't have this big thing looking, you know, necessarily going, oh, we need to get that thing to do better forecasting. What we've learned from years of doing this is take every opportunity you can and every new thing that's come out and say, oh, now I can do this. We may not still be able to do that, but let's. here's a good enough answer for that. We'll put this in there, and we'll focus on this area now. So I think fundamentally, what numerical weather prediction has taught us is how to have, like I said, this symbiotic relationship with technology and find opportunity no matter what the advancement in technology. All right, enough of that. Hopefully that made some sense and it wasn't too rambly. But, but again, I, I wanted to provide that background before we get into talking about getting that using numerical weather prediction to get a forecast from start to where you get it. So if you had, I don't know, one thing, with a weather forecast. If there was one thing that you wanted improved over what you get on a regular basis now, what would it be? What do you feel is the key area where weather forecasts maybe come up short for you? Or what's the neat technology thing, some neat way you'd like to see? You know, I talked a lot about that this week with people at this conference. Ways to present weather information. 
So is there some way you'd rather see weather forecasts put on your phone? I don't know. Let me know. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? Or what is it about the weather.com slash contact? Either works. Either works. Well, let's let you get on your week. Just remember, just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is a two-white production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.